0: said in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Josh Gonzalez. Continuing now with part two, From Gangs to God.
1: Finally, I got to a point where I was like, I just took a break from everything. Because it just it wasn't working. And now I'm going to church like never before. Every Sabbath, I'm in church. I'm getting involved in stuff at church. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing things. Like I'm trying to, you know, spiritually get better and stronger. And, and everything's looking good. And then one day, I get a phone call from my mom. And she's crying on the phone. I'm like, what's wrong, mom? What's happening? She's like, your cousin. I'm like, what happened? She's like, he went out last night. And they were drinking. And... They're in King's Cross and they got into a fight and something happened and and he's on life support. I'm like, what do you mean he's on life support? Yeah, he's on life support at St. Vincent's Hospital. And so boom, hang up the phone, rush over to the hospital. All the family is there. My cousin had had been drinking the night before. He had gone out with some friends to celebrate. It was like a a end of the year work thing that they were just celebrating and they decided it'd be a good idea to have some drinks and get drunk. And it, it ended up them getting into a fight and one of the security, it was actually, I don't know if you guys remember, this is going back a bit, but it was a big thing at the Trademark Hotel that involved uh, the footy player John Hopawati, uh, who was one of the security guards that night. And one of them pushed my cousin in a certain way that he fell down, hit his head on the, on the pavement, and just life support, straight away, just like on life support. And I remember I got there to the hospital, and everyone's crying, and all of these things, and I'm just like, man... This is not good, you know, and, and so what do I do? i start praying, right? Because I'm a Christian now, I'm praying. And so I'm like, God's got this, you know. My dad starts praying with me and then my uncle started praying with me and, and we're praying and we're like, God's going to do something, you know. And, but nothing's happening, you know. Day after day, it's like two days later, still nothing. And so I ended up saying, look, I need to do something that I think and I believe with all my heart is going to help. I'm going to call the pastor of my church, Lyle Southwell, Uh, who was the pastor, and the head elder, who was a guy called Kel Norton. Some of you guys may know Kel. I said, I'm going to call these guys to come and pray over my cousin. And so I remember I rocked up to the hospital with the the pastor and and the head elder. And all my family is like, they're Catholic, but not even Catholic. You know what I mean? Like just Catholic on Easter and Christmas, basically, like most Catholics, right? And so I'm like, but these guys, my family here, they're going to see that God is with the Adventist church because the Adventist pastor and the Adventist head elder just came in and they know that he's from our church. And you know, we started going to this new church and my parents had started coming at the time. And so for me, it was like, this is just God's gonna do a miracle. And I was, I was so sure about that, so sure. They come and they pray. And I'm just like, man, this is it. Like Any moment now, I'm, I'm, I was literally just waiting for the phone call to say he's, he's, he's woken up, you know? I believed it with all my heart. Two days later, we get a different phone call. And the phone call is that there's nothing they can do. They have to turn off the machine. And they turned it off and he died. And i got to tell you, so new to my Christian experience, that thing, that thing was hard. I, I didn't know how to deal with that. I, I got angry with God. I was like, how could you do this, God? Look at everything I've gone through. I have all people after me now. My friends have turned on me. Uh, I've lost all the things, you know, with my music and everything. I'm trying to follow you. And, and, and I got the pastor to come in and I was just like confused. Anyways, it wasn't, it still had to wait like at least a week or two, I remember, for the funeral because it was a murder investigation, right? And so we have the funeral. And I remember that day just, it was just a depressing day, Everyone crying. I saw my family suffering. My cousin had a little baby boy. He was only like three months old. And just to see him with his mom there and just, oh, man. Like, I was in such a bad place. And then after the funeral, my family turns around and says, hey, we're going to go to the RSL in Maroubra uh, for like the kind of after service, right? And I remember having this moment where I'm with one of my boys, Danny. He's there with me. And I'm with my wife. And Danny's just like, do you wanna go? And I remember I looked at my wife, and my wife looked at me almost with tears in her eyes. I said, Don't go. Don't go. Because she knew what was gonna happen if I went. She she knew. Because people only go to the RSL for two things. You go to play the pokies and lose all your money, or you go to buy cheap alcohol. Or maybe get a good meal if if the bistro is decent. But most of the time it's for those other two reasons. And so everyone knew that we're gonna go drink. I hadn't drank for ages. I had stopped taking drugs, like all of that. Out of anger, I made a stupid decision that day and I said, let's go. And my wife went home crying and I got in the car with my mate Danny and we went to the RSL. And I, just, I remember, like, like a movie scene, I walk in the RSL and I just remember the guy coming up to me with a beer in his hand. You want a beer? I was like, yeah, give me one. One turned into two, three, four, five, six. I don't even know how many I had. I definitely had over 12 that day. And then that night, I ended up back at my dealer's house. And I started doing drugs again. And what happened after this is that, you see, all my life, for a long time, I won't say all my life, but for a good chunk of my life, I I would drink, I would smoke weed, I would do all these things, right? But I always felt like I had some kind of control over it. I always felt like if I needed to and wanted to stop, I could. But this time around now, now that I've just gotten back into it, after I'm at a point where I'm so close to God and it's like God's bringing me out of that life into something. And now it's obvious the plan God had for my life. I had no idea that this was God's plan back then. If you would have told me 20 years ago that I was going to be a pastor, I would have laughed at you and so would have everybody who had heard that. I didn't know that that was the plan God had for me. But now I see Satan trying to do everything he can to stop that from happening. And now after drinking and, and, and doing some drugs that night, I spiraled out of control in a way that was just, it was, it was crazy. Like I had no control. Every night I was going out with my friends and I was drinking. By this time, like I've always had friends. I had friends where I grew up. I've had friends everywhere. And even though I'm not in the gang and all those things anymore, I have a, a, a crew of boys that I, I, I rehooked back up with, that I grew up with. And these guys were into some, some pretty heavy stuff too. And so I was hanging out with the boys now and we were still doing music. Now my music had gotten bad again. And then all of a sudden, every night I'm going out with the boys and I'm drinking and I'm smoking and, and I'm coming home and Three o'clock in the morning, and I'm stoned, and I'm drunk, and I had a baby girl too. See, my oldest daughter, Julia, was only maybe six months old at the time. Things had gotten so, so bad. I had gotten so out of control. And, and, and anyone who's ever met my mom, you know, I love my mom very much, and I'm very grateful for my mother. Um, and I have no doubt in my heart that my mom loves me. I have no doubt. I know how much she loves me. But you see, I was so out of control that she had a conversation I didn't even know about. She had, a, she had met up with and had a conversation with my wife. And because I was so out of control, my mom, who I know loves me more than anything, she told my wife to leave me. That's how bad it was. For her to have to say that to my wife, leave him, because like, I was just in a bad place. I had a really good job at the time. I was on my last warning because my lifestyle was affecting my work. My spiritual life at this point was non-existent. I wasn't going to church. I wasn't doing anything spiritual. But you know what's crazy? My music, my rap music, was better than it had ever been before. It was so good, in fact, that we started filming video clips, that there was a big tour planned and starting to be planned for me to go and tour around Latin America. I had a company come and approach me about a record deal. My music was better than it had ever been before. And now that I look back, I realize that I could have had the music and I could have had that career and I could be maybe a famous rapper today. Maybe. But the cost of having that would have meant me lose everything that was good in my life. I would have lost my family for sure. I would have lost anything to do with my spiritual side. It would have been gone. It's in a sense, you know how people talk about selling your soul? I don't think selling your soul is really that you've got to sit there with a a pen and a paper and actually sign something. It's about the decisions that you make. I'm going to choose this over this. And so while all of that's happening, and I'm going to wrap up now. While all of that's happening, one night I'm filming a, a video clip at a friend's record shop out in Mount Druitt. Now understand, I left the gang that I was in because I was going to be what? What was I trying to do with my life? I was going to be a Christian. But you see, my life recently had been very non-Christian and my old friends had seen things that I was doing with my, my boys and the music and all this stuff. And so Some assumptions were made that maybe the whole reason of me leaving was probably fake. It was probably real what they thought about, you know, whatever reason that I left. So the threats against me from my old friends started to get really intense. Anyways, one night, but I I always brushed it off because I had my friends as well. And, you know, when you're in that thing, you just think you're invincible. And my boys are better than your boys kind of mentality. And, you know, anyways, I'm filming a video clip one night at a record shop in Mount Druitt with a famous DJ that owned the shop there. And we'd gotten there probably about 10 o'clock at night and now it was around maybe one in the morning. We'd finished shooting everything we were shooting. And the whole time I was there, I was drinking and smoking weed and all that stuff. By by one o'clock in the morning, I was just really, really wasted, right? I was ready to just drop into a bed. And my friend Danny was driving me and two of my other friends had a car as well in front. And so we're getting ready to pack up and leave. And as we're getting ready to pack up and leave, there was a guy there that was a, rec- uh, it was a producer, a music producer, made beats. He had a, a studio set up at the back there. Now, I've known this guy since back in the day when I was with the other boys. And so we were all mutual friends. And so as we're getting ready to leave, he comes and he says to me, he goes, he called me by, I, I used to have another name um, that I used to go by, but. He calls me and he says, hey, man. He goes, listen, there's a bit of a situation. I go, what's wrong? He goes, your old friends are here. I go, what do you mean my old friends? He goes, yeah, you know, he starts naming names. I'm like, all right. I'm like, how many of them are there? He's like, oh, there's two carloads of them. And he turns around, he says to me, he goes, he goes they wanted to come in, but I, I couldn't let them come in. And, and I had to tell him it was because you're here. See, this guy understood what would happen inside his shop if we were all in there. He's got thousands of dollars of equipment. He's not going to just let us brawl inside the shop, right? So he didn't let them come in. And they had like this big metal security door, kind of like a prison type door. It's like this big heavy steel door that they used to have because Mount Druid, you got to protect your stuff really well out there, right? And so they had, he had locked it with a key and they couldn't get in. And he says, man, when I told them that you were in here, he goes, they got really angry, man. I go, all right. He goes, yeah, two carloads of them. He goes, man, some of them, that I saw like a baseball bat. I saw some other stuff. And then he's like, he goes, one of them has a gun. I'm like, all right. As he's telling me these things in front of my other friends, one of my friends is there who's probably more drunk and more stoned than me. He's just like, let's just take them on, bro. Let's just fight them. I'm like, dude, relax, man. We're wasted. We're outnumbered at least three to one. These guys are on a mission Like I just, I was hesitant to let them get involved in this stuff because at the end of the day, them getting involved was them getting involved. Right now, the problem was with me. And so I said to them, I go, look, man, this is my issue. i got to sort this out. I appreciate you guys having my back and everything, but I'm just like trying to figure out a way. And you know what? When you are raised in church, and I don't know if anyone can relate to this. that's maybe watching or, or here tonight. But even when you are literally doing the worst possible Christian thing you could be doing in your moment of desperation, there's only one thing, you know, to do. And that's to say, God help me. And I was asking God for help because I didn't know what to do. And so my friends say, all right, let's just try something because they were at the back, right? They had now moved to the front and they were banging on the front door and they were calling my name out and they were threatening me and doing all this kind of stuff. My friend Danny had his car at the back, just on the other side of that gate, and my other two friends had their car up front, and so they go, all right, they don't know us, because they didn't know two of those boys, they said, we'll go out the front, and get into our car and go, and as we go out, it'll be kind of like a distraction, right, and as we're doing that, man, you and Danny go, and get in the car, and get out of here, and so we're kind of like, all right, let's try it, like, what else are we going to do, right, but I, I was already ready, in my mind, I was like, man, I could die tonight, like, I could die tonight, because You never know what could happen. Any kind of even a fist fight could just go wrong. Like anything could happen, you know? And so my friends go out the front door and then me and Danny, we go to the back. We get out and we see the car and there's no one there. But guess what? Big steel door there, locked. No way to open it. And the car's right there. And we've pretty much got like maybe 30 seconds to a minute max to get in the car and drive off before the others catch up to us. And I remember I'm um, like going like this on the door. Like I wasn't even moving it much. Cause like it was probably like this cause it's a big steel door. And I remember just asking God to help me. And I've got to tell you, and I didn't realize this till later, you know, like you can get so full of adrenaline sometimes that you're not thinking about stuff. But then later on you like think back as I was asking God to help me. And I was trying to open his door with just my hands Somehow, and I can't explain it to this day, the door unlocked and it opened. We get in the car and we take off, not even realizing that a miracle had just happened, right? We get out, get into the car, we drive off a couple of blocks down the road and we get to a red light. And I just remember like, kind of like, you know, sweet, you know? As I'm exhaling, I hear two cars screeching up. And I can't even remember seeing stuff like everything was so blurry to me what happened was is that the guys had gotten out and they'd come to the car and I don't know if they had one or two but someone had a baseball bat and he came up to my window and so my friend's driving here I'm in the passenger seat big dude had come up to the window and tried to get my head right through smash it to get my head through the way I had the windows up and so as that's happening and I didn't even see that happening But something crazy happens that all of a sudden the window smashes but it's not my window it's the one just behind me. And my friend Danny told me later and he still trips out about this to this this day he says he goes Josh man he goes I don't know what happened bro. He goes but something man at that, that specific moment made me move the car. Just like about that much. So as when the bat connected instead of connecting with my window it connected with the one behind me. But The bat hits the window, glass shatters into like a thousand pieces and it was so loud of a bang that at that moment we thought it was a gunshot. It was just, it was so loud, right? I don't know if it was a metal bat or what, but so we just like take off. Danny, go. He takes off. We end up in a high speed chase down the Great Western Highway from Mount Druitt down to Parramatta. We were going over 150 Ks an hour, going right through red lights. Another miracle that we didn't collide with anyone. This is like a little movie scene, like a chase, right? And I remember every time I would look back, I remember that the two cars would just keep coming and keep coming until finally I realized that they weren't coming anymore. They had just kind of started fading away in the back, in the distance. I called my wife. It's probably like 2 o'clock in the morning. I didn't know exactly what happened. I thought maybe I got shot at very possible. I know how my old friends are and it's a very, very possible thing. So I call my wife and I say, look, I, I don't know if they knew where I was living at that time, but I was living in Granville in an apartment. And I said, close everything up, lock everything up, keep an eye out. If you see any suspicion, like call the cops. If they're coming there, call. Them. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go somewhere else. But if anything suspicious, because there's my wife there, she can call the cops. You know what I mean? But I'm going to go lay low for a little bit because I don't know if they're Coming after me, or whatever. So I end up going to a friend's house. And, anyways, I end up getting back home in the morning. I go to sleep for a few hours. I wake up. I wake up to my phone going crazy. And now it's my friends that are calling me. And they're telling me, hey, what happened last night, bro? I'm like, did they try to get at you? I'm like, yeah, yeah, they tried to get at me. And my friends were just going crazy. They were so angry. So they organized a meeting. One of my friends, he has like this tiny little apartment. It's like a one-bedroom thing. And we had like 20 boys in there at least. It was just crowded. And all the guys are getting together to try to sort out how to sort this out. And so I'm sitting there and my friends are talking and they're like, yeah, look, why don't we do this, man? Like call them, tell them you're going to the same place tonight. And what we'll do is that when they get there, we'll like have like a hundred guys around there. We'll get all the boys to come down and we'll just like, you know, we'll just bash them, you know. And some of the boys are getting pumped like, yeah, that's a good idea. And my other friends, like one of my other boys is like, nah, man, we can't do that. Because um, these guys, man, that, you know, if we just bash them, they're probably going to come back with something else. So it got to the point where one of my friends had come up with a strategy to basically go and kill all these guys. That was the strategy that was put forward and was agreed upon by some of my friends. And now all of a sudden things got really crazy because now I'm sitting with having to make a decision because a friend of mine was calling me every day for four days straight telling me I've got 10 guys, they've all got guns, we're ready to go, man, let's do this today. And for four days I was sitting there with the decision to make that was going to completely change the course of my life forever in a way that I could never come back from. I'm either going to die or going to end up in jail because of this. I couldn't say yes. And the reason why I couldn't say yes is because a lot of my friends that were my old friends that were now against me had children. And a lot of my friends that wanted to go do this had families as well. And I was, you know, I had my little girl at that time. That was really playing with my mind. Anyways. I'm sitting in my room one day and I'm sober because I have nothing, I have no money left to buy anything and I'm just sitting sober and my wife had taken my daughter to go see her mom. My, my, my marriage was like on the rocks, big time. And I'm sitting there and I'm by myself and I feel like this. I feel like this. This is what I feel like. It's like, why have I done, man? Like, hey, look, look at the mess that I'm in. My wife wants to leave me. The relationship with my family, my parents, like my dad was so just disappointed with me. It's like, I didn't raise you to be like this. You know, my little brother, I I, I couldn't even hang out with my little brother because I didn't want to get him involved in anything I was involved in. You know, I had a great job. I was about to get fired. My spiritual life was dead. Like everything good that I ever had in my life was falling apart. And I literally felt like I was at my lowest point. And I'm sitting on my bed in my room one day, one afternoon. And as I'm sitting there, my wife, you know, she had her desk in the room as well. And on her desk, she had her Bible and her Sabbath school quarterly. But I didn't even know about that Sabbath school quarterly. There was a Bible there. And I remember as I'm sitting there and I'm having all of these thoughts and I'm like, you know, what have I done? And I'm, I'm at my lowest point, right? At that moment... I start getting a little voice in my head. And you know what it's telling me? It's saying there's a way to sort all of this out, Josh. A way, a very simple way. If you're not around anymore, the problems go as well. So I'm sitting there and I'm contemplating maybe even taking my own life. Because if I'm able to do this successfully, it will. in my mind, the the thoughts are coming that all the other problems are going to kind of disappear, right? Now, we know the truth is that that's not the truth. You know, that kind of thing doesn't sort problems out. It creates more problems, especially for the ones that you love. But I wasn't even thinking straight. And so while I'm there, at the lowest point in my life, like in the pig pen, like this prodigal son, I look, somehow I look over to my wife's desk and I see the Bible on her desk. And there's like a light coming out of this book. It's like it's calling out to me. And I remember that I had this kind of feeling that, like, God you know, like go to God, right, kind of feeling. But as I'm getting that thought, another thought kind of overtakes it. And the thought that overtakes that is like, man, how can you come to God, man, after everything you've done? Are you serious? Like you've, you've gone way too far to come back to God. God's not listening. He's not there. And so now I'm having this battle of like, do I go to God? Do I not go to God? And as this is all happening, I don't even know how it happened. I, I want to believe I think I have to believe because I honestly don't know how it happened. That somehow the Holy Spirit caused me to go on my knees and start praying. Because I end up praying, I hadn't prayed like prayed, prayed for a very long time. I would have nights when I was drunk and stoned, when I was just like out of control, and I would say, God help me, because I'm 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 out of control and I can't do anything to 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 fix myself. But to pray, pray, I hadn't prayed in a long time. And I find myself on my knees and I'm praying and I'm pouring my heart out to God. And all I remember that I was saying, I said a lot of stuff, but all I could really remember myself saying is, God, what have I done? Look what I've done. And I started realizing that every issue and every problem that I'm facing in my life right now is my fault. And it's probably the first time I'm honest with God and I'm just pouring my heart out to Him and I'm I'm telling Him, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen now. There's like no way out of this thing. If I go down this route, I'm, in, I'm dead or in jail. If I go down this route, I could lose all my family and stuff. And then I'm trying to maybe even think about taking my own life. And so I just couldn't see a way out. And I'm begging God to give me something. And I, start, I remember I just asked Him, I go, God, I don't even know if you're there. But if you are, I need you to tell me something now. Because I'm about to do something. I have to make a decision and that decision is going to change the course of my life forever. Tell me something, Lord. I don't even know if you're listening to me, but if you are, please tell me something. And I remember I got up I got up from, my, uh, from the prayer. I opened my eyes and I remember I saw there was a book next to my wife's Bible. And it was a Sabbath school quarterly. I don't know if it was the current one or old, an old one. I don't know. But something inside of me just said to me, go and pick up that book. There's a sign for you in there. And so I went over, I grabbed the Sabbath School Quarterly and I opened it. I wasn't searching, I I just opened it to a page. Do you guys know what was on that page? What was the lesson for that week? See, there was an image on that page. And it was a lesson. This was the image that was on the page that I opened up to. I opened up that book to this image. It was the first thing that I saw after begging God to give me something to let me know that he's there. And you see, I knew this story. I knew what the son had done. I knew that the son had messed up. I knew that the son had turned his back on his father. But I knew that when the son came back home, I knew how the father ran out to him and he forgave him and he celebrated him and he welcomed him back home. And so at that moment, I saw that. And I just fell on the floor and I couldn't stop crying for maybe like three hours. I'm just on the floor crying and I can't stop crying. And as I'm on the floor, I could feel the love of God pouring down on me. You see, my whole life, even having gone to another church, but my whole life, I had heard about Jesus. I had heard testimonies about what Jesus had done for people. I had heard stories and people share about their personal relationship and experiences with Jesus. But it wasn't until this moment in my life, I was 25 years old, I had for the first time in my life, my own personal experience with Jesus Christ. And as his love poured down on me, I just felt, I I was just, he was just changing me as I was having this experience. And I remember when this all kind of happened, and it was like, you know, I'd come out of it. I remember talking to my wife and I remember saying to her, hey, you don't understand what's happened. And I've had this experience with Jesus. And, and my wife was just like, yeah, all right, yeah. Like she just didn't believe me. And I remember the next day I went to see all my friends. And my friends, they were waiting for me to give them an answer to see what we're going to do. How, what are we going to do, Josh? How are we going to sort this out? And I remember I went to, to my friends and, and I, I spoke to them and I said to them, I said, guys, You don't understand what just happened last night. And I'm sitting there in my friend's garage, you know, with bongs on the table and beers everywhere and everyone doing stuff. And I'm sitting there and I'm just telling the boys how Jesus came into my heart last night and changed me. And some of the boys just kind of quiet and thinking about it. Some of them started laughing. One of them said, dude, bro, you've smoked too much weed. Like you need to stop, man. And I remember I looked at them all and I said, guys, and I was just so confident. And you don't understand. I smoked and drank and for so long and I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. And I looked at them all in the eye and I said, you will never see me smoke or drink or do any of this stuff ever again. And by God's grace, that was the very last time that any of that ever happened. Over 10 years ago now. That day changed my life Forever. And it put me on the course that I'm on now. Now, I have a lot more stories that I'll share over time. Some of the experiences of what's happened from that moment up until now. But I think I've I've taken enough of your time tonight. Uh, Maybe we'll leave it for a part two next week. Because there's some really, really cool stories I'd love to share with you guys. But I'm really happy to say that I'm not the person I used to be anymore because of Jesus Christ. Because of the fact that when I was at my lowest point and I called out to Him, He answered me. Because when I had made myself believe that I had gone too far to come back to God, God ran to me and He hugged me and He put His robe on me and He celebrated that Josh had come back home. And you see, if God could do that for me, I know God can do that for you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you have strayed. You see, there is nothing you can ever do to cause God to love you any less. Nothing. God loves you in such a beautiful, unconditional way that I, I have to admit, you see, I don't understand God's love. I don't, I don't understand it. It's, it's something that's too big for my mind to comprehend. Because as a human being, I understand this. You see, if we're friends, even if we're family, If you betray me, man, I'll forgive you. I'll try my hardest to, you know, work it out. But then if you betray me again, man, all right, I'm a Christian now. (laughs) I'll forgive you. But you betray me again? You see, as human beings, we get to a point when we get betrayed enough, we're like, that's it, I'm done with you. That's the human Natural reaction to betrayal. But you see, we betray God daily even. And God never ever says to us, I'm done with you. Whatever it is you have done, if you come to the Lord today, all you need to do is start making your way back home. The Bible says he's waiting for you. I'm looking forward to church, going on this journey with you guys and sharing so many amazing things that God has shown me over the years. Not just me being in ministry, but just in my personal spiritual experience. I want to pray to God that over the next few weeks and months, we are going to see God and Jesus. We're going to see Jesus in the most beautiful, clearest way that we have ever seen Him before. I'm excited to go on this journey with you guys. But I want to just leave you with that last thought. If you make a a choice, a decision in your heart to start walking back to God today, He is going to start running towards you the moment you make that decision. God loves you. have no idea how much He loves you. I, I, I still can't understand why He loves me so much. Do you ever have those moments where, you know, you've let God down and you know how God responds? He blesses you and you're just like, <laughs> why God? Like why do why you treat me like this? Why, why do you treat me like this? I don't deserve it. I don't deserve anything that you do for me. I don't deserve anything that you've done for me. And he just responds simply by saying, you just don't know how much I love you. God is our Father, guys, and He loves you and He wants you to come back home. So yeah, I'll leave it there. I think I might continue a little bit maybe next week with some stories post-conversion experience. But I just wanted to share that with you guys tonight to start off, just so you can understand a little bit about my journey and what has brought me here. Um, and I'm really excited, church, to go on this you know journey of, uh, and do ministry with you guys uh, this year here at Waitara. I'm really excited to share with you so much of uh, my experiences and the things that the Lord has shown me. And I pray that this group, this youth group, this program that we have, Acts 29, is going to be a real blessing to everyone that comes. Uh, And and we're praying that there are going to be a number of you that through this program are going to connect with Jesus, uh, are going to experience a real experience and and personal relationship with Jesus. and, uh, and, And, you know, you'll give your heart to the Lord through it. So... Thank you. Oh, there is a little Q&A time. We'll keep this one short though because, yeah. By the way, all the programs we're going to do on, on a Friday nights, just with a little disclaimer, they're not going to be as long as tonight. It's very hard for me to tell my testimony and keep it short. I've left out so much. Um, but yeah, we're not going to do, you know, big, massive hour, hour and a half talks and stuff. They'll be short, I promise.
2: Thank you very much for sharing that That was beautiful and I imagine every single person here has been incredibly blessed by your story. I know that I have mm. we Thank have you. time for just a little bit of questions um, just because of time, so I just want to open it up to all of you guys. This is your time to ask um, pastor here any questions that you might have so just signal me over <laughs> if you have a question. There's no dumb questions. A bit of
1: shy Group eh? A. <laughs> Maybe they just want to go home. You guys just want to go home? (laughs)
2: I'll leave a little bit more time. And if no one has any questions, I know I do. I'm going to ask my questions. Okay, so what advice can you give to a young person who may be going through a similar experience where they are feeling tempted with wanting to explore the world and what it has to offer?
1: Mm. It's a good question. Um... Look, I understand. I think everyone understands. Like, some, what, what some of the, the youth today don't don't realise is that us older folks and those that are even older, we've all been young once before. So we all understand, you know, it's crazy. Like, I look at the young people today and the influences that they have, especially with all this, you know, drill music and all this stuff that's going on now in Sydney, especially. And it's not that much different to the stuff, you know, we were going through um, back in the day. But to answer the question, look... I praise God that I left and was able to come back. But when you see a testimony like mine, don't think that that is the rule. You know, I, I, I believe I'm the exception to the rule. Because I know for a fact that for every one person that goes out into the world and comes back to God, there can be five or ten that go out into the world and never come back. You see, the world is very tempting, and the devil, the Bible says that he's like a roaring lion, right? Seeking whom he may devour. The Bible tells us that he's busy. And he's busier now more than ever because Jesus is coming back soon. And so all I will say to young people and advise them is just be careful. Because there are so many things that the world will tell you are innocent. There are so many things that the world will tell you is it's not that bad. But these things have a powerful way Take you away from the Lord. And ultimately, you know, think about the story of, this, of, of, of the prodigal son. You know, he saw the world outside and how attractive it was. But there's one thing that he realized very quick when he left his father's home and went out into the world. He realized very quick that everything he thought what it was, was a lie. It was just one big deception. And the Bible says that the devil is the prince and the ruler of this world. And, you know, he's not trying to save us or for us to get saved. So be careful. Be careful uh, is, is basically all I can um, yeah advise on that one.
2: Thank you. I might just ask one final question.
1: Sure.
2: You were raised in a church, even though a different one, mm-hmm. and left. Mm-hmm. Looking back at your experience, do you believe God ever left you during that time?
1: That's a good question. You know, one of the things I remember when I uh, joined the Adventist church, I remember someone saying something once that really kind of shocked me. I remember that I think back in the day they used to tell kids that when they went into the movie cinema that the guardian angels would wait outside and wouldn't go in there with them. You know, And I think maybe some people that are listening actually believe that. I don't believe that whatsoever. And the reason why I don't believe that is because look at what I shared with you tonight. That night I was up to no good. That night, I went out to drink and to smoke and to do things that were completely against anything that I had been raised to believe was right and good. And as I look back in that night, I see when I tried to open that fence, God was there. When I was in the car and my head was about to get smashed with a baseball bat, God was there. That as I was going through red lights at 150 Ks an hour, God was there. And one of the most incredible things that I've realized having had my experience, is looking back and realizing that God was always there. Because if He wasn't, I wouldn't be here today. So this is something that we don't realize, right? When you look at the Bible, I'm going to share more about this uh, as we continue our studies uh, here at Acts 29. But when you go right to the very beginning, you see when Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit and they had sinned, The very first words recorded in the scripture from a holy God to a now fallen humanity are three words. You know what they are? This was the very first thing that God said to Adam and Eve. He said to them, where are you? Because the Bible said that when they saw God coming in the midst, you know, in the garden, that they ran and hid from him. And so I've come to realize, you know, the Bible says that God is the shepherd and he's out looking for his lost sheep. God is on a on a mission to find us, and He's coming for us, to save us and take us back home. Problem is is that we keep running and hiding from Him, but I believe God was always there. And I think if some of you guys actually take the time to be very prayerful about this and start to really think about this, you're going to see moments in your life when you thought God wasn't there. He was. It's like that famous picture, right, with the footprints in the sand, you know? When you couldn't walk anymore, I carried you. Sometimes we don't even realize because we're not aware. All the time that I was living out in the world and I was living a sinful life, my awareness of God's presence wasn't there. But I believe God was always with me and I thank Him for that because if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be here today and I'm going to be eternally grateful to Him for that.
0: This message was made available by the Waitara Seventh day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit Waitarachurch.org.au. Marlita Fong with All Along. Coming up next, What a Friend We Have in Jesus by Akka Peldridge.
3: What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear.
0: To our series You're not alone, in which Alan Sonter, for many years a missionary educator in the islands of the South Pacific, tells stories that help us to know that God is always watching over us wherever we are. This
4: episode is entitled God Knows Best. This story happened in Auckland, New Zealand in 1980. My wife and I were trying to raise finance to buy our first home, so we decided that we could raise a few thousand dollars by selling our near new car and buying an old model. I used to hate buying cars, especially used ones, as I remembered all those horror stories in the news about how people were taken in by sharp operators. So when we decided to change cars, I especially asked God to show us which car we should buy. Within a week or so, We had a buyer of our $8,000 car and were looking for a used vehicle that would cost around $3,000. I searched through the newspapers every day and marked ads that looked promising. We went to see several cars, but somehow none seemed to be just what we had in mind. Something seemed to make a negative impression on my mind about every one of them. Then one day, I phoned a person with the car for sale and he promised to bring it around in the late afternoon for us to see. Apparently, he was driving down country and would bring the car in on his way home. The time came for the car to arrive, but it didn't show up. Time passed until just as it began to get dark, a white car with a black vinyl roof pulled up in our driveway. It was an Austin 1300 GT, but I couldn't distinguish much detail in the semi-darkness. The owner was apologetic about being late, but had been held up on his way back to town. Despite the poor visibility, something seemed to say to me, this is the car you should buy. So I said to the owner, I think the car's what I'm looking for. I'll come around to your place in the morning and check it out carefully. If there are no problems... We'll talk about a price. The next morning, my wife and I drove across town to the address we had been given, and I took the car for a drive. I was fairly gentle with it, but checked out the CV joints on full lot and did the usual things that could be expected to show up any problems. The paintwork wasn't real good, but there were no signs of rust. Since everything seemed to be all right, I offered the owner $3,000 for the car. Even though his advertised price had been 3,400, he readily accepted my offer. I wrote him out a check, got his signature on the change of ownership form, and while my wife drove the car we were selling, I took possession of our new purchase and started off for home. After a kilometer or two, I decided to see what power the car had, so put my right foot down rather firmly car surged forward impressively, but at the same time, a queer swaying motion gave me a real scare. Something was seriously wrong somewhere. But where? I eased off the power and the feel of the car returned to normal. Power again, and there was that sickening swaying. I felt anxiety rising inside me. Had I been misled into buying serious trouble? Had the owner been so eager to accept my offer because he knew there was trouble and just wanted to get rid of the car? I drove the car to the workshop of a mechanic friend, Colin, and as calmly as I could, asked him to check the car out. I explained the unusual symptoms and he put the car on the hoist and checked underneath very carefully. Colin couldn't find anything that might explain the unusual swaying, so he lowered the car and we went for a drive. As soon as he applied power, the swaying motion showed up again. There's certainly something really wrong there, Colin exclaimed. I wonder what it can be. We took the car back to the workshop and Colin again put the car on the hoist. He pulled and tugged at any parts that he thought might be causing the trouble... But still, nothing appeared to be out of the ordinary. "'There's really nothing I can do,' he concluded, "'until we can find out what's causing that queer motion.' I was feeling quite worried as I drove the car home. No matter how hard I tried not to worry, by that evening my anxiety level was well above what was healthy. As I knelt by my bed to pray that night, I said to God, "'I asked you to show me what car to buy.' and it seems you impressed me to buy this Austin. Now there seems to be a real problem and I can't stop worrying even though I try. I still believe you guided my decision. So would you please take away my anxiety and give me peace of mind? Help me to trust you that you have everything under control. Instantly, my anxiety vanished and never returned. I thanked God for giving me peace of mind and went quickly to sleep and slept soundly all night. In the morning, I decided to change the engine oil in the Austin. It looked as though it hadn't been changed for some time as it appeared almost black on the dipstick. I jacked up the front, supported the body on blocks and squeezed under to find the drain plug. Now this... Austin 1300 was one of those front-wheel drive models with a cross-mounted engine, and the inner universal joints on the drive shafts were right in behind the gearbox, which doubled as the sump. As I looked up to find the sump drain, I caught sight of the left-hand universal, and in an instant, the mystery of the swaying motion under acceleration was solved. Two U-bolts were designed to hold the centrepiece of the universal To the drive shaft, but one of them had broken off, so that it was a J bolt rather than a U bolt. It was so far up that it had escaped notice during the inspection the previous day. When lightly loaded, the universal acted fairly normally, but under heavy acceleration, it twisted alarmingly, producing that queer swaying motion. I changed the engine oil and then arranged for Colin to fit a new universal. Within a day or two, the job was done, and that car turned out to be a real winner. As I mentioned in passing earlier, it was a GT model, and it had twin carburetors and extractor exhausts. Someone had planed the head, and the compression was really high. I had the engine tuned, and the mechanic who did the job road tested the car and was enthusiastic about its performance. It goes like a rocket, he said. I believe the Lord knew I liked a bit of power, so he had impressed me to buy this car. I had to be careful on takeoff not to be too sudden with the accelerator, or the engine would ping. But just follow through as the revs built up, and the performance was quite startling. I suppose there are three points I would like to make from this story. The first is that when we need to make a decision and we ask God to guide our minds, He can impress us with what to do. The second is that if we become worried, God can give us peace of mind when we ask Him to. Thirdly, because God loves us so much and knows us so well, He does more than help us simply exist. He leads us in ways that He knows will give us a bit of excitement as well. So far in these stories, I've emphasized the fact that we are not alone. That's why the collection has the name that it does. But when we realise we're not alone, we should make some sort of response to this God who is always there. He loves us, so it makes Him happy when we respond by wanting to know Him. As we get to know Him through reading the Bible and through talking to Him in prayer, we will find that in the Bible He gives us quite a bit of information about how to live a life of peace, joy and happiness. If we follow God's way of living, He can help us even more, so our relationship with Him grows closer. I invite you to learn to know Him and trust Him for yourself.
0: You've been listening to our series, You're Not Alone. Stories told by Alan Sonter that help us to know that God is always watching over us, wherever we are. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3avinaustralia.org.au or give us a call within Australia on 02-4973-3456. May God bless you and remember, you are not alone.